This is no podcast music. Where's the NPR stuff? Marching band. Come on, man. The Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft. The folks who brought you the riots are back and they say that if Joe Biden isn't elected, the country gets it. It's already started in Philly. Uh, They call it the Karen Act. I'll tell you what that means and who's being targeted. It's the great mask shaming of 2020. And vote. Get out and vote. Plus, part two of Antifa versus Mike Strickland, the Oregon man who was attacked and hurt by the mob. And then he was the one prosecuted for it. And if you heard part one, (laughs) the story's getting pretty doggone interesting. So stick around for that. I kind of laugh and say it's interesting and a man's life is turned upside down, but you get the point. You'll want to stick around for it. Please subscribe to the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft on Apple iTunes. Please give it a five-star rating. Find it at all of your podcast areas, uh, Stitcher and, you know, of course, Apple and let's see what else. Hmm. Everywhere, just everywhere. And please give me your fantastic review. If you don't like what you hear, uh, never mind. Pay no attention to what I just said. One more piece of business. Find me on my social sites at Victoria Taft and Adult in the on Twitter. Apparently Adult in the Room was taken on Twitter. Now it's the Adult in the. Adult in the. So... Uh, let's see. I'm at Victoria Taft on Parlor, Facebook, and always find me at VictoriaTaft.com. Always. Uh, the uh, website is going to get so much more interesting. I'm going to get the Antifa action figures up there. You know, you can have your own mask with an Antifa figure mocking Antifa. It's going to be fantastic. You know, I'm thinking about getting an entire set of cups for Christmas for me. And I'm the one who can't. I own the copyright. I mean, I, I could do that. Anyway, I suggest you to do that, too, for your favorite uh, political folk in your life. Okay, leading off. Interesting, interesting. The presidential polling is tightening, as we knew it must. People have chosen sides. The battle is over. The undecideds. And I think libertarian uh, Jorgensen, is that her last name? is the person that people are sort of, yeah, I think I'll vote for the libertarian in the polling, but they're going to break one way or the other. And if you're a libertarian and you're going to go for the uh, libertarian candidate and you've got less than 2% of the vote and Donald Trump needs your vote, I mean, wouldn't you go over there? Um, Probably. That's probably what's going on right now. uh, I got a story over at PJ Media entitled Trump Gains Slight Lead in Pennsylvania days before the election. For the first time, the president has taken a lead there, which is not to say, I mean, that's not saying much, I should say, for the incumbent. Clearly, it's the blue wall. Clearly, it has been a blue state for a while. But he won Pennsylvania, barely, but he won Pennsylvania in 2016. And A lot of people there just love the guy. So now he's got a 0.8% lead, which is within the, you know, tolerance of the polling by the Trafalgar Group, which has predicted accurately the 2016 election, other Senate races in the midterms and other, you know, elections. And uh, also he predicts Trump will win in 2020, but he's really afraid that there's going to be some political chicanery going on in Pennsylvania. 
because uh, there is some rule changing on elections there that will just curl your hair. Democrat, libertarian, Republican, curl your hair. So get to that in just a minute. But elsewhere over at PJ Media, I've got a piece about the threats by Antifa and other Militant leftists among them, you know, Black Lives Matter, the whole sort of alphabet soup of groups with uh, all of whom have fists in their logos, by the way. Have you ever noticed that? Everything on the left, you you know, they're socialist, which is a nice way of saying they're a bunch of commies because that's truly what they're based on. They're Marxist. And, you know, they are when um, they've got a fist in the logo. I went back. This is years ago. I went I went back and I looked at, you know, Jobs for Justice and uh, Answer and all these other places, uh, you know, maybe not Answer, but other places under the whole umbrella of this anti-America kind of collection of groups. And most of them have fists in their logos. And I just thought, what's going on? Was this like the pearls that the Moms Demand Action folks wear? Is that like a, is it a tell? Is it one of those uh, little telegraphed shh, whispered telegraphed messages little dog whistle <laughs> okay be that as it may the folks who brought you the vandalism the looting the arson uh throughout the country specifically in washington dc is uh, now saying that they're going to riot on the night of the election and possibly in the weekend leading to the election, which is this weekend, and then also uh, have an extended period of rioting. So it'll be like Portland everywhere. And and the reason they're doing it is because they demand that uh, Joe Biden uh, do their bidding and Joe Biden be elected. And if Joe Biden isn't elected, then the rest of the country gets it because you people are obviously clearly too stupid to live, right? Uh, so that's what's going on. They have announced, previously announced, I just did, a, as I mentioned, a story over at PJ Media on it. They they, they literally, uh, they didn't send out a press release. We just sort of check their websites and stuff like that to find out what's going on. What are they doing? What are they planning? It's like, it's the Women's March on steroids. I have often thought about bombing the White House or whatever it was that Madonna said at the first Women's March thing. Uh, I say it's a Women's March thing because I really can't figure out what it is. They put the pink hats on. Have you ever seen a man in a pink hat? You know what I'm saying. The pussy hats? That That is ridiculous looking. I just want to just call an audible to those men and just say, look, I know you think you're an ally and, and all of that, but you look absolutely ridiculous in one of those pink hats. You're welcome. So uh, the piece is entitled, The Left, Biden had better win the country, or better win or the country gets it. Weeks of riots threatened. So my advice is in this piece is to, uh, you know, vote early, stock up on boxed wine and pop the popcorn. Find out where the votes will be counted where you live. Make a plan with others to get there and stay there this is from their website, until all votes are counted. And come up with a plan to create serious disruption if Trump really tries to steal the election. Now, uh, a couple of problems with this paragraph out of their website. A, uh, 
all the votes are counted? What does that mean? All the votes you want counted? All the votes that come in after the deadline? Those are the votes you want to count? Is that what you're telling us? And yes, of course, that's exactly what they mean. And the other thing is, B, is that uh, create serious disruption if Trump tries to steal the election. You mean if Trump wins, that's stealing the election. Let's just be honest here. That's what that means. Because everything is amorphous. It's it's uh, weasel worded. And especially if you know these folks, which I do, it's basically... We're going to have riots. We don't care who won. Uh, we want Biden to win. We know he's our guy. And um, but we're just going to create hell. And uh, if Trump wins, then it's it's game on. It's the revolution. The resistance is on. The shutdown D.C. group, which is disappearing its web contact. I, I, in fact, I saw. Thank God I screenshotted some of this stuff and I um, kept it. Because they were disappearing as I was writing the story, they were disappearing stuff from their website. And I know that because I know some of the, the Federalists got a hold of it too. And I saw, so I saw that and they go, oh crap, Federalists got it. Some people will also write on it. Of course, I, you know, I eat this stuff up. I eat it for lunch. I eat it for breakfast. I eat it for dinner. Because th- this is all about disruption. And there's no end game if you have ever looked at any of these cause celebs by these militants, I say militants, I don't know what else to call them. They're violent. Uh, they're not protesters. They're not protesters. Because when you pass over the line from protest to vandalism and protest to violence, you you cease to be a protester. You are a rioter or you are someone who uh, you're a criminal is what you are. You're a criminal, period. That's what you are. Unless you're in Seattle, in which case, if it's a misdemeanor, you won't, uh, you can just say, hey, I, uh, I have a mental disorder and therefore uh, I want to be freed. I'm not even kidding. I'll get to that story in a second. But I, my, uh, my niece told me about this one. So shout out to Whitney. Oh my gosh, you guys. The Seattle home of Chaz and Shop City Council is actually entertaining a bill that would um, introduce, I read here from Change Washington, far-reaching legislation to excuse and dismiss almost all misdemeanor crimes committed in Seattle by persons with symptoms of addiction or mental disorder. Any perpetrator with a credible claim of behavioral health symptoms, anything from drug use to depression, would effectively have blanket immunity from prosecution for misdemeanor assault, theft, harassment, trespass, stalking, car prowl, and 100 other Seattle criminal laws. It's open season on Seattle. And don't you don't you think that for one second this isn't happening elsewhere? This is going to happen in Portland. This is going to happen in Chicago. This is going to happen in Philadelphia. This is going to happen in Portland. Did I already say that? Probably. It was probably the first thing I said. I don't even care. You know what I'm talking about. And you know this is real. This is part of the reason why they, uh, the 
you know, I hate to bring up the dude's name, but George Soros actually is real and actually is trying to change America's laws and to keep people from being incarcerated. I get that. And I actually appreciate the fact that we don't want to criminalize all behavior, but there are things such as folks being left alone and being able to exercise their civil rights. And there is a clash right now and all of these leftist folks, and that's what they are, just be honest, of course they are, are erring on the side of the perpetrator instead of the victim. That is wrong. There has to be a balance. There is no balance, and especially in this bill. Absolutely no balance. Okay, so back to my story about um, the planned threats, intimidation riots, things that are happening leading up to and after the election. One more thing about that. Well, several. This happened in 2016. Before Donald Trump was elected, this happened. Okay, this was a plan before the November elections. So, you know, the Strickland story, which I've been telling about in our Antifa versus Mike Strickland series, his assault was in July before the election and the riots and unrest and clashes and all kinds of things occurred right before the election and after thereafter. And they wanted to blame it on Trump. Well, you know what? Blame the voters for voting the guy in. Okay. You want to, you want to blame somebody? Don't blame that guy. He's not the reason that you're on the street and looting the Saks Fifth Avenue. I'm sorry, but you can't use that as an excuse. You, you can't set fire to the federal courthouse and say, well, you know, I did it because I just don't like Donald Trump. Guess what? Get over it. Be an adult like the adult in the room. I am the adult in the room. I'm telling you, move on. Get a job. You're already wearing a mask. You're COVID compliant. I've got a story about that. Oh, so anyway, there's um. These are the people go find out where the votes are counted. Well, in the Pacific Northwest, certainly in the state of Washington and in the state of California in some spots because they're going to all mail and balloting because, you know, COVID, because you can't possibly, <laughs> you couldn't possibly, you know, fit in a trip to your election office to vote the polling place in between your going to get your nails done and having a shopping deal at the grocery store, picking up a few things at the old grocery store. You can possibly be involved with other people. I mean, are you kidding? I could catch COVID. So they've made up all these rules, which we all knew were bogus. I understand that you don't want a collection of people, but you're allowing the riots. So get over it. We're, we're all hip to this, okay? So they've changed the rules. Now we have to do a lot of mail-in ballots. California went to mail-in ballot, and Gavin Newsom then relented and let some people vote in person. When he realized that I look like a total uh, joke because I'm totally in the bag for the Democratic Party and I really need to get over this. And so he sort of relented a little bit. I have no idea what's going to happen in November, though. I got to check it out because uh, he did that for a replacement uh, congressional district 25 replacement. And um, so he let people he let. Don't you like that? You're exercising your civil rights. Do you recognize that he's got it entirely backwards. 
you're you're exercising your civil rights. You know what the Constitution is made up of rules that about which the government cannot do things to you. You have. Let me just give you a little baby civics lesson. The entire structure of our government is based upon the individual. And, and, and of course, these folks on the left don't like individual rights. They like collective rights. Everyone's part of a massive group. You're, you're a particular eth- ethnicity. You're a woman. You're a man. You're uh, anything. You're lesbian, gay, G, you know, Q, whatever. You're all of these things. You're not an individual. They don't like that. So Gavin Newsom says, well, you know, oh, okay, well, I might let you exercise the franchise in person. And that's all bass-ackwards. He, the Constitution, Bill of Rights, is that which the government cannot do to you. And explicitly things that the government should do, i.e., you know, fill Supreme Court vacancies, which happened this week. I mean, they call it court packing. Now, have you noticed the transliteration, if you will, of the the verbiage about court packing has now gone from extending the amount of people on the court to dilute the existing justices and their opinions and to um, and, and it's now just filling vacancies. Okay, really? How stupid are you if you believe that? That's absurd. If you believe that, you need to just pick up, pick up a history book and not the people's history, because that's that's where most of this crap started. <laughs> but OK, so in Boston, you've got Antifa saying go to the places where they vote. And um, a guy's been bur- arrested for burning a ballot receptacle outside the library in downtown Boston. Now, Tell me you you didn't tell me you saw this coming. Tell me you saw this coming. And. um, In a piece I wrote recently for PJ Media called Imagine Antifa Ballot Harvesters, It Isn't Hard to Do. I predicted firebombings of those boxes. I predicted intimidation tactics near elections elections offices, which they're already doing, rioting outside election offices, vandalism, arson, and, you know, literally setting fire to election offices. This comports with what they've been doing. Here's an insight test. Would you drop off your ballot in an area where there was rioting, looting, and arson? Would you do that? You're an intelligent person. You're listening to this podcast. Clearly, you needed uh, the adult in the room to tell you what's going on here. And you're a smart person. I'll repeat the question. Would you drop off your ballot in an area where there was rioting, looting, and arson? Of course you wouldn't, because you're not stupid. Why would they encourage, and the left is encouraging, the Democrats have not have not called out and said, you've got to stop the rioting. You've got to stop the, the, the intimidation, the threats. No, Joe Biden came out once and said, well, yeah, it's looting and rioting. That's really bad. He did it in advance of a debate because he knew Trump would call out on it. And that was it. There needs to be more said. I mean, obviously, Trump's out there and they're saying, well, Trump's saying he's got to stop the rioting. 
well, that makes him a racist, doesn't it? Notwithstanding the fact that most of those people out there are the same color he is. Oh, okay. (laughs) Anyway, over at BuzzFeed News, you know, the people who who, uh, printed, published the uh, fake Steele dossier. Remember that? More on that coming up in just a minute. I know we talked about it last week, but I thought, I'm never going to look at BuzzFeed again. These people are hacks. But I did. And they're still hacks. And here's why. Um, There's a story about the growing U.S. political violence, which seems to be obviously a day late and a dollar short. And these guys, these scientists or sociologists or whoever they are with university professors, lots of letters after their names. I mean, they're they're something. And um, they say that uh, there's an uptick in uh, political violence in the United States of America. And I thought, oh, wow, no way. Okay, now do the sun coming up tomorrow. Do that one. Of course there's political violence. Have you been in a bunker somewhere? (laughs) I mean, I know Joe has, and I I recognize that uh, he doesn't get out much. But, come on. So the, the headline goes like this. This scary statistic predicts growing U.S. political violence whatever happens on election day. Really? Because the left thinks that, well, I just can't. They're going to call them the turbulent 20s. Maybe. Two researchers claim that a single number they call the political stress indicator can warn when societies are at risk of erupting into violence. Too late. <laughs> I wonder what the stress indicator is now. What do you just kind of wonder about that? <laughs> Many Americans are clinging to the idea that if Joe Biden wins the presidential election, calm can return to a nation riven by protests and rattled by President Donald Trump's authoritarian authoritarian rhetoric. Notice they use the word rhetoric because he's not an authoritarian. He just talks. He talks tough. So they, oh, well, you know, he's an authoritarian. He, has he at all, done things that are quote-unquote authoritarian in nature. No. No. I got more to say on that in a second, but look at the assumption there. Look at the assumption. And then, not so fast, they write, caution two academics who claim they have devised a measure of political instability that shows that the nation will still be a powder keg that is waiting to blow even if a Biden landslide means that Trump has little choice but to step aside. I, I, I know leftists listen to this podcast, and I'm glad. I know, hey, Antifa, how's it going? Trump says he is in favor of a peaceful transition of power and will abide by what the voters say. He is not, however, going to allow... Uh, and if it's like, for instance, in Philadelphia and the rest of Pennsylvania, where they've got really wacky voting rule changes to allow voter fraud, which is shocking, I mean, stunning. Um, and I'll get into that in a second. But, you know, I, I, if I were he, I, I would uh, bring a lawsuit against such things in Philadelphia if you find out like there's been a, uh, a run on ballots being brought in after the deadline, the election deadline, and stuff like that. Uh, but the assumption is he's not going to leave. 
I mean, the Lincoln Project, you know, the, the, uh, the former uh, Republicans and their uh, Tokyo Rose over at the Washington Post did a s- story, or not a story, but one of their commercials. They are just hoovering up money and then just spewing out these really horrible, horrible ads. Uh, yesterday, I'm not even kidding, they put out a tweet uh, that said, President Trump just called for his opponent's assassination. What the hell? I mean, it's, it's, I mean, talk about jumping the shark. But this uh, organization also uh, did a, did a spot, a commercial that probably cost a lot of money. It's at least online. Maybe it's airing in places. I have no idea because frankly, if it came on, I'd probably flip it off because it's the Lincoln Project. I mean, (laughs) I mean, these people are certifiable be that as it may. It talks about the whole point of it is to say that Trump's not leaving after he wins this time. And it's absurd. He totally trolls the left by saying people in the crowds will start cheering 12 more years, 12 more years. He is trolling. He is trolling. He is leaving after two terms if he's lucky enough to be reelected next week. Um, So this is also back to the study now. This this tendency is to blame Trump, they say. Oh, really? We hadn't noticed. <laughs> but I don't really agree with that. Peter Turchin, an evolutionary anthropologist at the University, University of Connecticut, who studies the forces that drive political instability, told BuzzFeed News. Trump is really not the deep structural cause. No kidding. Really? It's about inequality, they say. Inequality. This is what they say. This is what's driving this political instability. Now, but check this out. This is very interesting. The most dangerous element in the mix, argue Turchin and George Mason University sociologist Jack Goldstone, is the corrosive effect of inequality on society. They believe they have a model that explains how inequality escalates and leads to political instability, worsened by elites who monopolize economic gains, narrow the path to social mobility, and resist taxation. Inequality ends up undermining state institutions while fomenting distrust and resentment. Why, why do those people get mad at people who take advantage of the tax laws? Why um, do they get upset with people who make more money than they do? Because they are not working their asses off and doing it. But here's the tell. Here's the real tell. And it's this. They did not look at racial inequality, which ostensibly is the reason behind the raison d'etre behind all of these riots. George Floyd, George Floyd, George Floyd, George Floyd. This guy in Philadelphia, who, by the way, was armed with a knife coming at a cop. Come on, please don't even bore me with, I mean, a terrible thing to lose a life. But I'd rather, if it's going to be between the dirt bag with the knife and the cop, I choose the cop. So no, not even racial inequality. Why? Why? Why is there nothing about racial inequality in this study? Because there isn't an overwhelming tell in their sociological or however they came up with their statistics. That doesn't come up because people know. But they do blame Trump for 
throwing matches on social problem gasoline. Um, okay. Okay. He's intemperate. We get it. He says things from his uh, podium when he's giving speeches at rallies. Got it. Pumping up the base. Hilarious. Have you ever watched one of his? If you have not watched one of his rallies, you're missing out. They are incredibly entertaining. I mean, and you'll see how he jokes. He's self-deprecating. I mean, there are a number of things that people say that Trump isn't, that he is and shows to these thousands of people when he's out there talking at these rallies and doing all sorts of this this dance. He's now taken to playing YMCA at the end of his rallies. And then he dances. I am, it, of course, it's silly. Of course, it's it's bread and circus. Yeah, got it. It is. It is. And it just shows a little self deprecation. Uh, you can you can choose which way you want to look at it. I'm going to take a drink of my my drink here. No, it's just with caffeine in it. So. The key concerns of these folks who did the sociological study. Losing faith in government and political institutions was a huge thing for people who predict, um, who, who are disaffected, upset. They have lost or are losing their faith or trust in government and political institutions. Trump yells about government institutions all the time and like Chris Ray over at the FBI. What a, what a turd, the media, they're crooks, Uh, you know, Hey, guilty, guilty, both media aren't crooks. They're just lying to you half the time. It's just unbelievable. So, um, and I'm in the media. I know this. I know this stuff. I know this stuff. I've been this, I've been in this business for more years than you've probably been alive or you could be my kid. Maybe I'm telling you right now, there's a crooked media out there now setting, they're setting narratives, not covering stories. It is shocking, unethical, horrible behavior, but I digress. So Trump yells about the government institutions all the time and it makes the resistance upset, but does he actually do anything? Does he spy on reporters, the Associated Press, tap a phone in the Senate cloakroom. Um, does he uh, spy on other reporters as he did it from the Wall Street Journal, I believe? And what was it, the New York Times? Does he do that? No, not that we're aware of. I doubt he would. Because he gets he gets his jollies just yelling at him. And he figures, he, you know, Obama did all that. President Obama spied on the press. He was looking for leaks and I get it. Uh, national security leaks, et cetera. That's a, that's a big deal. Um, but he did it. Trump complains on Twitter. You actually know where he stands on stuff. He fires people occasionally. He talks tough. Does he upend every institution in government? No, he should. He's talks about draining the swamp. So therefore he should, but no, he's here in the last administration, besides spying on reporters is what president Obama did. And you tell me if this doesn't erode your trust and faith in governmental 
institutions. I don't want any in the mailbag letters saying, oh, Victoria, you don't put your faith in government. You put your faith in God. Got it. Ten four, Roger that. But I do know that people do believe that government should be above it all. And they're not because it's populated with greedy people just like you. Your greedy tendencies, my greedy tendencies, uh, all kinds of human tendencies are grown larger, writ large in a governmental institution. You can't avoid it. People are who they are. And so when you attribute and ascribe noble intentions uh, to these institutions, etc., they're still run by people. Be prepared to be disappointed. So in the last administration, here's what Barack Obama did. He forced forced gun dealers to sell illegal guns into Mexico to known cartel members and people who are ne'er-do-wells, let's just put it that way, ostensibly to track them. But there was never any tracking done. In Operation Fast and Furious, the plan was to flood the zone, flood Mexico with guns from the United States. And at the same time, I know there was a political bent to this. You know what it was? Hillary uh, and uh, uh, his AG at the time, Obama, they were all out there giving speeches about how America was flooding Mexico with its guns. And the reason that there was even any violence down there is because it came from American guns. It's called Operation Fast and Furious, and some of the guns were used to kill a Border Patrol agent and injure others. That's corrupt. So, oh, I know, guys, let's do this. Let's set up a deal whereby we force gun owners or gun dealers to sell guns into Mexico, which will undoubtedly, if they didn't immediately go into the hands of cartel members and drug dealers, will eventually, they know, get into their hands. And then let's uh, let's tell everybody we're tracking them. And then we'll go out and give speeches about how horrible America is because they're selling guns into Mexico. That's what that Operation Fast and Furious was all about. It was astonishing. I was working at IJR at the time, and I was looking at the speeches given by Hillary Clinton and uh, Loretta Lynch, I think it was at the time. It was it was shocking. Like, they, uh, they actually planned this. Anyway, I digress. Obama forced people to buy a product or else, totally turning the Constitution on its head. And John Roberts, the chief justice, let him do it in, in Obamacare. They lied constantly, saying that we wouldn't lose our insurance or we wouldn't lose our doctor. When it was clear... And it was clear they would. People, millions of people lost their insurance over Obamacare. Uh, it, people now talk about the fact that, you know, Trump doesn't have a plan. Well, Trump does have a plan. It's not Obamacare. How about that? That's a good plan. He already got rid of the individual mandate. Um, I, I know he has a real plan. I. It's just... <sighs> Obama, Obama, President Obama, sicked the IRS on his political enemies. He sicked the IRS on his political enemies. They drew out and did everything they could to slow down the ability for Tea Party groups and anything that had like Patriot in their name or what have you. Even a couple of left left leaning groups got hooked into that. And they said, oh, yeah, you want your 501c4? Eh, Oh, gosh, Mm, let's think. Well, man, maybe after the 2012 election, that's what happened. Absolutely frightening. Absolutely frightening.
uh, he, and this is, this is the big one. I mean, this is the big one. He knew about and used the CIA and FBI to spy on the Trump campaign and to hassle those, to get the Michael Flynn fired as his uh, national security advisor. And this is provable. But I noticed that a lot of people don't know this. And one of the reasons they don't know it is because it's sort of been dripping out. And you really have to sit there and you go, okay, well, I have to put a map together and timeline. And eventually when the Durham report comes out, uh, we'll probably get one. But an attorney has been indicted for complicity in this tawdry affair, this investigation of Trump by the CIA, FBI, and with the with the consent of President Obama. And how do I know that? Well, the inspector general called out the unethical behavior in his report. The inspector general can refer over for charges. John Durham at the U.S. Attorney's Office in Connecticut is undertaking a criminal investigation into the people who participated in this attack on the Trump campaign, the results of which will be announced sometime after the election, we're told now. Uh, the former CIA chief, the DNI, the former FBI chief are all under a proctological exam over it. And most left public service or were fired in the case of James, James Comey. Now, if you said to yourself, OK, Victoria, isn't it important that Obama, Biden and intelligence agencies investigate to see if the incoming president is a Russian secret agent? Why, yes, of course, I would say Absolutely. The problem here is that it started before the election and according to a leaked document, and John Brennan is so angry about this, uh, the intelligence agencies from Russia got in touch with them and said, hey, do you know that Hillary Clinton is planning this whole Russian, Russia, Russia thing? Seriously, uh, to go after Trump and the whole idea, Brennan says in his notes, was to distract from her email problems because the email problems were that she destroyed 30,000 emails that she was ordered by law enforcement to turn over on a subpoena. She didn't want to. Uh, she did it to avoid uh, any attempts to get a look at her documents by the media or anyone else. Judicial Watch comes to mind. And, um, yeah, that's what happened. A lot of people think that Hillary's emails were hacked. That is not true. Her email, well, I'll go back to that in a second, but she did not have her emails hacked that we know of. We can conjecture because she was on her own private server. And in all likelihood, since it was not properly encrypted and top-level encryption, the Secretary of State was sending and receiving emails on her private email server. And, of course, Michael Morrell of the CIA at the time said, or he just left the service of the CIA, said, absolutely, China's got to look at those. All top-flight intelligence agencies of the world have copies of those emails. That's why, that's why Trump made a joke about, hey, Russia, have you got, the, have you got her emails? <laughs> they probably don't because they're, you know, we'd seen them by now, maybe, huh? But so her emails weren't hacked per se. When people talk about the Democratic Committee emails, they're not talking about hers. Um, in all likelihood, and I know people who are very familiar with this case, in all likelihood, what happened at the 
Democratic National Committee, uh, we had the head of the committee click on a phishing come on, you know, P-H-I-S-H-I-N-G, and um, allowed a intruding uh, malware to be dumped into the DNC uh, emails and, and in his emails. And so the other thing was that all of the emails that they claimed were hacked, and they said, oh, we're, well, this is hacked, were all in all likelihood just X-filled onto a hard drive. And somehow WikiLeaks got a hold of it. And it was quite embarrassing because what happened was it showed the world during the DNC that the head of the DNC at that time, uh, Wasserman Schultz, Deborah Wasserman, Wasserman Schultz, say that 10 times, um, had really tipped the scales in favor of Hillary over Boiny. And so that's what happened there. But in all likelihood, those, those files and those emails, et cetera, were exfilled via hard drive, not hacked. But as I explained, the Hillary's server probably hacked. I mean, uh, or spied on in some form or fashion. Uh, the Obama administration lied in this whole Russia, Russia, Russia thing because this whole thing was a Hillary Clinton um, effort to get Trump, get Michael Flynn fired. I mean, that was just a, a lovely byproduct that they got. And uh, so it was a Russian. She brought, invoked Russia, tried to uh, fillet Trump with, hey, he's a Russian secret agent, which is nonsense. And then, um, of course, Obama went along with it. Obama went along with it. In fact, FBI, Jim Comey went along with it. We had uh, Brennan go, go along with it. And the, the DNI, James Clapper, all part of it, all knew this was fake. They knew it was fake. And what did they do? They investigated Trump campaign. And they lied to a foreign intelligence surveillance court, the FISA court, four times to get warrants to spy on Trump's campaign to help Hillary further her election scam against Trump. That is shocking. When the president doesn't explain himself or this situation very well, all he generally says is no president should ever have this happen to him again. Yeah, no kidding. It shouldn't. I mean, Nixon only dreamed of stuff like this. Nixon didn't do anything anything like this, nothing like this. And he resigned over it. So you know how Brennan found out about how all this thing went down, how it was a Hillary pl plot, if you will. The Russians told him that they had intel that Hillary was doing this and the Steele dossier and all that stuff, which is what this whole thing was based off of. All the media reports are based off the Steele dossier, which is wholly debunked. And the phoniness just phony, phony, phony. He got some information from Russian sources, one of, one of whom was a U.S. intel spy watch list suspect, suspected of being a spy. So there was a guy on the spy watch uh, by intel agencies feeding information to Christopher Steele, he of the Steele dossier infamy. And then... Um, the upshot is... Who was who was colluding with Russia? Hillary Clinton to plant this fake story. She's also the one. And I know people don't want me to say this. Uh, she started the birther 
crap about Obama in 2008. It was came out of her campaign. I'll never forget. So I'm speaking in front of this organization. This happened to be when I was living in Portland. And I was speaking in front of this organization, which skews left as most of Portland does. And I and I brought that up. And I'm I'm not even kidding. A state representative literally jumped out of his chair and said, that's not true. And I go, I hate to break it to you, dude. That's absolutely true. They wanted to blame it on somebody else. It was just insanity. Absolute insanity. Uh, let's see. So the whole upshot of this, we're going to have violence in political America this election year. The whole point is, this from the study, that we're losing faith in our institutions. Can you imagine, after all of what I've just recited from the Obama administration, if you don't have a point at which you say, I've lost faith in these political institutions or these governmental institutions, if you don't say that, you're nuts. If you think this is okay, if you think this is okay behavior, then I think you have a much less visionary hope for the United States than I do. I think they should be above that kind of thing. the petty differences and that sort of thing. I mean, that is a story. I cannot wait for the Durham report to come out. I cannot wait for the Durham report to come out. I want all the timeline. I want everything in one place. It's going to be hundreds and hundreds of pages, and I'm going to read every freaking one. Woo! Well, I'm uh, yammering on quite a bit today, so uh, I'm just going to spare you all of the situation with the uh, cop shooting or, yeah, cop shooting in Philadelphia, uh, with the sole exception of saying, when somebody is 10 feet away from you with a knife, they can make it to you and stab you before you can get your gun out of your holster. And that's all that needs to be said. The guy was 10 feet away. And I've mentioned before, first reports of these things are always wrong, as they were in this case. When people started rioting based on false assumptions, assumptions, all. The underlying assumption is that the black person died, so therefore it's wrong. Well, what if the guy's a dirtbag? What if the guy's a bad actor? What What about that? What if he's got a knife and is less than 10 feet or 10 feet away from the cop? He can make up that time. Have you ever seen that video that's always making the rounds about how it actually happened? Somebody had it on video. Guy with a knife makes it over to the cop. He's got the cop being held hostage with a knife at his neck and threatening the other cops that he's going to kill the cop unless unless he lets him go. It's frightening. Absolutely. Go look it up sometime. Now, is that worth rioting over? No, because it's not about this. Is that worth rioting and looting and committing acts of arson over? No. Let's wait for the facts to come out. Let's wait for the facts. Whatever happened to the presumption of innocence? Did that go away with equal treatment under the law? I mean, in Philadelphia, in Pennsylvania, we've got an election coming up, and that's what this is all about. Remember, it's unrest, 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 leading up to and after the election. You think Philadelphia is immune from that? And by the way, Daniel Outlaw, the chief of police there, she's the former Portland police chief. And so she knows her way around Antifa and these protesters. Been there, done that. Okay, so Trump needs Philadelphia. He needs Pennsylvania. I don't think he'll win Philly, but I mean, he needs Pennsylvania. And my latest uh, weekly wrap up of ballot shenanigans, you've got to hear this before we break away and bring you part two 
of Antifa versus Michael Strickland. In my latest uh, weekly wrap of ballot shenanigans, over at PJ Media, you'll find that Pennsylvania officials rewrote key election laws because of COVID. Ask yourself, do any of these things in any way, shape, or form fight COVID or help people fight COVID? Changing the rule that the signature of the person voting must match the signature of the person who registered under that name. No no signature matching. That's verboten. Verboten. You can't do it. They threw out that rule. Does that help fight COVID? Is there some reason that matching signatures is something that's untenable? Is it a problem? Is it a burden on an individual? No. Ask yourself this. Does this help fight COVID? Allowing ballots to continue to be received after Election Day with no required postmark. Are you serious right now? Do you think that someone might take advantage of those rules and overwhelm the system? We've seen that happen before. It's a recipe for election fraud and voter impersonation. So watch this space. If any lawsuits are going to be filed by the Trump administration, it's going to be over this stuff. They already won one in uh, Wisconsin. But for whatever reason, the Supreme Court of the United States of America allowed uh, Pennsylvania to rewrite their own rules. It was done by executive fiat, by the way, by the state secretary of state. So I have no idea. It's not a legislature. I mean, the legislature didn't do it. The secretary of state did it, as far as I can remember. So old Joe is going to get the benefit of all these last minute overwhelming the system with ballots. I mean, that should scare the tar out of you. And I saw the blue check marks on Twitter yesterday talking about how the Trump administration and or the Republicans want to uh, suppress the vote by reinvoking, or actually in the Wisconsin case, it was very similar to this. And, and they won in court and they said, the Supreme Court said, no, you can't just change the laws willy nilly, election laws. And for whatever, it's a split. Dis- I just don't even know what Justice Roberts is doing here. I just, honest to God, what the hell is he doing? <sighs> I can't keep track. On one, he says no on the Wisconsin and yes on Phil- Phil- or Pennsylvania. What? Uh, I, Andy McCarthy outlines what he thinks is going on there. That's uh, a judge makes the decision versus a legislature makes a decision in one state. Okay, fine. But it's real hinky. Very hinky. Ought not have happened. The Joe Biden and Hunter Biden laptop story is getting worse and worse and worse. Just suffice it to say, read. All you, I know Twitter and Facebook are suppressing the story. Literally, they've admitted. They say, oh, we can't verify this. Really? You can't? Well, uh, that's pretty lazy because it's out there. The New York Post has pictures, documents, etc., out there. But one thing that came out today that is, I mean, get on your knees and pray for this family. Joe knows all about the business stuff. He was lying. His nose was growing when he said, I don't know anything about Hunter's business dealings, whatever. Of course he did. He's making money off him. And um, the other thing is, is that uh, the former partner, erstwhile partner of Hunter Biden, 
was on Tucker Carlson this week and, you know, outlining how he, Joe, of course, knew. At the time these meetings occurred, however, Joe was out of office. However, he did know he was going to run So for president. So you do have to wonder about the judgment of Joe Biden in a situation like this where you're shaking down or getting really a lot of money. Uh, you know, you've got the Communist Party involved in one deal in China, and then you've got uh, the Ukraine with all of its horribleness over there, corrup- corruption, etc. And he's getting in bed with those guys. And he was the guy overseeing Ukraine for, for the, the point man for Obama during the Obama administration. So it seems that he's sort of tapping into the people that he met there and is uh, getting getting money. Don't know if there's a quid pro quo. Don't know if it's a quid pro Joe. All I know is that doesn't look good. Okay, does not look good. The other thing that doesn't look good is the fact that these uh, stuff on Hunter Biden's laptop, I mean, grow more and more disturbing day by day in his personal life. And I know he's not on the ballot. Got it. But it appears that there's some hmm, inappropriateness with underage children on Hunter's part, or at least a child, and that Joe is covering it up. Just watch that space because, I mean, this was the one I just went, oh, God, just stop. This this man is so sick and depraved. Wow. So it kind of makes you wonder with all the stuff in the Biden story, hey, where are those emoluments clause people now? What what happened to those guys? You know, the, you remember Trump can't have a hotel and have foreigners stay there. That's that's opposed to the emoluments clause. Well, what if you do a quid pro Joe in advance of becoming president and or why you're vice president? Uh, could you revisit the issue for me? Uh, even Trump said to his kids who took over the business, you know, his son Eric is running it. When he became president, he said, no international business deals while I'm president. Because of the Russia, Russia, Russia thing, because that started before he became president. And I think they opened that fancy club and golf course in Scotland, and that was their last international deal. One thing, um, the Karen Act. The Karen Act, and I need another drink of uh, my coffee here, is a San Francisco, proposed San Francisco law. And um, they're going to ban racially motivated 911 phone calls. Okay. And uh, that's that's they're going to ban them. I mean, what are you talking about? It depends on what that is. I mean, what if the perp is of a particular ethnic persuasion and you have to identify it? But really what it stems from is that woman who's, the, by the way, a Democrat and Hillary supporter who um, was went after her uh, neighbor. Or she didn't know he was her neighbor, frankly, but she said, hey, are you, he was painting or marking up his wall in front of his house with Black Lives Matter. And she said her thing was not that she didn't like Black Lives Matter. It was just like, dude, is that even your property? I mean, what? And so she called 911 on him. And remember the woman in Central Park? She called 911 on the black dude who's a bird watcher. Oh, black people don't bird watch. He must be a masher. And then she just bald facedly lied about that guy because he just got in her grill and said, hey, well, anyway, um, no more Karen phone calls. They're calling it the Karen Act, the C-A-R-E-N Karen Act, which stands for the Caution Against Racially and Exploitative Non-Emergencies Act. And this reminded me, as I thought about mentioning this to you, this reminded me of what happened to me in July in Laguna Beach, California. 
I went to the Ace Hardware to get drain cleaner and forgot my mask. I was at the uh, checkout stand getting checked out, literally getting checked out. And I just went, oh, crap, I forgot my mask. And I, not even kidding, previously had just bought one in the days leading up to that at that Ace Hardware. I mean, I got a one of the gators. That's, that's pretty cool. Be that as it may, I thought, oh, no, I came in here for Drano and I forgot it. Crap. So the gal says, the checker, I'm checking out. I go, hey, hold on. I'm just going to run out. I'm just going to run and get it. Whereupon I was arrayed by people who worked at the store all wearing masks. One woman pushed me and said, you've got to leave. You don't have a mask on. And I, not even kidding. I looked at all of, I said, remember this moment. I almost brought out my camera to photograph it and video it. I thought, no, these people are really super angry. They were all yelling at me like magpies. And I looked at all, no, like six or so people around me, six or so people around me, all mask wearing, all ACE employees. And I thought, man, they're doing okay if they got six people here, but you know, whatever, I go in there all the time and uh, never gotten any hassle. It's one of the best stores in Laguna Beach. I mean, because there's, you can't buy anything in Laguna Beach. You can try buying underwear in Laguna Beach. You cannot. Try buying a hose. Nope, can't buy it. But you can get practically anything at the Ace Hardware. Am I right? You could go into the Ace Hardware and you can get a, a you know, a pipe wrench and a wedding gift. Okay? I mean, that's just the way it works. So they're all yelling at me. Get out of the mask on! Get out of here! Literally, I'm a customer. They, I, I am a frequent presence at this store and they are converging on me. One woman pushing me out, you know, trying to push me out of the store. She's put her hands on me. Ace Hardware, Laguna Beach. Go check your tape. And um, I go, look, okay, look. All I want is the Drano, which is right behind you. You, It's right. Can you just, can I just get over there to grab it? I mean, nobody offered to grab it for me. Nobody... Nobody offered to grab it for me and get me the heck out of the store. Nobody. It would have taken 10 seconds to do that. I go, no, come on. Let me just go get the Drano. And then I'm leaving. I'm already checking out. This is not, this is not uh, brain surgery. I mean, come on. And I'm not being real super flippant. I'm just like, you guys, come on. I just want to get that. Oh, no. So this guy... One of the customers who I just had an interaction, a very pleasant interaction with, comes back from the front of the from the front of the store. He's checking out. He's in line. He comes back and he goes, "Well, I guess you think you're better than we are, huh, Karen?" <laughs> and I thought, "Oh my gosh!" I wanted to correct him, like, "Dude." You're the Karen here in this scenario. We're doing the role playing. You're the Karen here. Uh, but it did do one thing. It profoundly upset me. I couldn't even write about it over at PJ Media. I Maybe I can now. But it profoundly upset me because I began to lose my faith. Not that I have faith in humans, but I have lost my faith 
in the ability of people to act wisely in a mob. Now, of course, that's why they call it mob mentality. You'll hear more about that in Antifa versus Mike Strickland in our second episode of that series on the Adult in the Room podcast. One last thing. This is the best story ever. Now, it's, it's, uh, I'm laughing because somebody broke the law. But it's so incredibly ballsy. I just burst out laughing. Woman impersonates prosecutor to drop her own case. A New Hampshire woman is accused of impersonating a prosecutor and falsifying documents to declare charges against her had dropped. Now, she hadn't done it once. She's done it multiple times. She's in really, really bad trouble, obviously, because clearly you can't just make up stuff and then present it to the court because that's lying. You can't lie in court because you're going to get in trouble. But I just thought the chutzpah of that woman unbelievable. (laughs) Best story ever. (laughs) Okay. Now remember, catch me on my social sites at Victoria Taft and at adult in the at Twitter and Victoria Taft everywhere else. Hit up victoriataft.com as well. Get out of here, racist. I'm not a racist. Dude, don't get Before the nightly riots we've seen in the news, there was one case. The first case, the case of Mike Strickland. Now at noon, another court appearance today for the man caught on camera waving a gun at protesters in Portland last month. And now he faces a lot more charges. Michael Strickland faces 21 counts connected to that incident. He was a journalist who was beaten by Antifa and Black Lives Matter protesters. And he defended himself from the mob with his legal gun, and not a shot was fired. Our position hasn't changed, our client's position has not changed. That he is not guilty, that he was using the um, weapon to protect himself, and he was doing so within his rights. The only one hurt that day in July of 2016 was Mike Strickland. And the only one punished was Mike Strickland, the victim. I'm of the firm and steadfast opinion that when they come for Strickland's rights, they're coming for mine next. See, Antifa says it's anti-fascist, but Antifa is really anti-First Amendment. It's going back to the street violence of the 1920s and 1930s as a technique and a tactic. And the court system doesn't realize it's happening. This is the story of Mike Strickland. 
We go back to 2016, before you probably even knew about Antifa, before all the riots and the craziness. Mike Strickland was singled out, roughed up, beaten, silenced, because his Laughing at Liberals YouTube channel laughed at Portland's liberals. Them. And they hated it. And I know this because they told me. I've never seen an individual gone after like that in, in, our, in our press. Like, one person, you know? Like, that's crazy. <laughs> His attorneys think that it's because he is who he is, that he is treated that way. I think he's done a lot of uh, journalism that is anti-left, and he's got in the face of and probably stuck in the craw of quite a few left-wing political figures in Portland. I mean, he's not just somebody who goes and tries to make people at protests look bad. He's got a body of work that goes back a few years, and you can check out his YouTube channel. Yeah. So you think so you think it was because of who he is? I think that has a lot to do with it, yeah. The fact that he's right wing, the fact that he's pro gun, the fact that he's uh you know uh gone after a lot of uh people in the uh, political power here, you know, and, and criticized them. He's uh the whole thing with uh, PSU banning him that's complete crazy. bullshit. And yeah, you know they're gonna repeal that because they just had to repeal uh the other expulsion that they fucking did that, right. that just got finished you know, like two days ago. They're a quasi-public entity, PSU. So, like, where does a line get drawn? Like, how can you thought crime exclude someone from from property? I mean, I I, I hope that he sues the ever living shit out of Portland. I really do. These two Portland anarchists and Antifa media members, James and Mike believed that Mike Strickland, a videographer, was hated by the left he lampooned. Well, Strickland's a dick. Strickland's, nobody likes him, which is why he probably felt the need to take uh, a gun, extended mag, and like five other clips with him to a protest is because he knows that nobody likes him. And uh, from what I understand, he's previously been like jumped at a protest. Like people like, beat him some, up some lefty anti-gun guy i read this on the internet somewhere um basically broke his arm right he was attacked and had his arm broken and like personally if that happened to me right yeah i would want to carry a weapon you know yeah. i mean that's that's logical so <laughs> it does make sense yeah and personally i i have respect for uh, strickland i mean he lives in a town that's predominantly all left-wing people he has his ideology and he's willing to be uh opposed to all those people by himself and I think that takes takes courage you know personally um, basically he's been trolling an entire population of people for years that's his thing laughing at liberals so what it's called the first amendment of the US constitution I mean if you don't like it maybe you should you know go and live somewhere else um, I don't think using violence threats or coercion uh, to uh, you know quell or squash someone's free speech is the right way to go so Personally, I think, uh, I'll reiterate again, I think Strickland was acting in self-defense because he wasn't the one that grabbed him. He didn't grab himself and drag him out of a protest. He didn't physically... He wasn't anything at all. Yeah, no, he was, just, he was just there filming, and they 
you know, according to all the eyewitnesses, including James right here beside me, because where I started watching was where I started filming from. When you see my video, that's when I caught wind of what was happening. But multiple eyewitnesses said that he was grabbed and pushed around. And, you know, why, why those people weren't charged with harassment under the Oregon Revised Statute, I don't know. Because aggressive touchings... Or touching someone in a manner that that's uh, you know unwanted, unwarranted—that's harassment. It's that's a assault. misdemeanor. Yeah, it's a misdemeanor it's crime. Battery, and, and, uh, but, but, uh, I'm pretty sure that the uh, assault charges have to have a pain compl- uh, component, but uh, I'm reasonably sure that it's, at, at the very least it's harassment under the Oregon Revised Statute. The leftists involved conspired to get rid of Strickland from a downtown Portland Black Lives Matter "Don't Shoot Portland" rally on July 7, 2016. It was the kind of rally and protest that Strickland had been covering for years. But another Antifa-identifying militant, Jeff, whom we'll talk a lot more about later, told me that his compatriots, whom he called leftist SJWs, social justice warriors, cared more about their egos and Mike Strickland than their cause. You guys can stop making up lies and just start ignoring people you don't want there who actually aren't doing the bull crap that you're saying they're do that that they're doing. Or you can um, you can be adults about it. You can try to actually adhere to the ideologies and the labels that you're claiming. Like you know they call themselves anarchists, but they can't let a guy film there because he's invading their space, quote unquote. You know, and it's it's asinine. I mean, what kind of adult? Michael Strickland makes some videos. He doesn't even really comment on them that much. He just makes them and then lets other people comment. For the most part, they do that all the time. It's so annoying. And for the most part, from what I'm seeing, he just makes videos and just films them and then lets other people comment. You know, and they just hate that because they know that he's 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 giving them a hard time and they can't stand it. They're not adults about it, I guess. I mean, so you're watching. Let's go back to the scene. And then you're watching that one guy sort of square up on him a little bit. There's what? How many people did you see around there? Oh, God, I don't remember. There was a lot of people around. I mean, there was there around, yeah, you know, a, a directly surrounding him the entire time, except for maybe. You've seen the videos. Uh, for the most part, he, there's a good distance between, like a good distance where nobody can reach and grab him between him and the crowd. And um, there's nobody immediately aggressing. There's people doing the macho thing, coming towards him and yelling, but there's nobody actually making a run for him. Um, and uh, I remember he pulled his gun at a time when it did look like he might get enveloped. So he pulled it out and he swept the crowd and told everybody to get away. And that definitely helped create space. And then um, Mike Bluehair, he's always very calm and very good at de-escalating and also very fair in the way he thinks about people and their right to be places, was like, oh, dude, put the gun away. And Michael Strickland, very clear thought, clear head, it's like, okay, cool. And he put the gun away. And me and Mike put ourselves, me, Mike, and a few others put ourselves between Mr. Strickland and the crowd. I'm like, everybody needs to, to relax. You need to get away. You know, they're like, why does he just leave? Well, because he's afraid if he turns his back, you're going to pounce on him. Because there definitely was a mob mentality happening, right? How did you know there was a mob mentality happening? It's just, I, it's experience. When you're there all the time and you're in it all the time, you just you just know it. It's just instinct. But I guess some points would be like... The general atmosphere, the way everybody's, the things people are saying, the way they're coming towards in one thing. And when you have a crowd, this is very true, when you have a crowd, 
the individual is always smarter than the crowd. When you enter the crowd, your IQ drops and you react on emotion rather than reason. And when one person's emotion gets up, it gets the next person, the next person. It's like a domino effect. And they all start to do it. And then they all start to act almost as one. And so you can see that it was developing. And we were trying to put ourselves between them and just be like, you guys need to relax. Let him go. You guys need to slow down. I remember Mr. Strickland, I was saying to him, dude, you've got to go. You know, it's, it's, inten- it's too intense. And he's like, hey, this is my street too. And that hit me. That hit me because he's, you know, he's right. This is his street too. And I said to him, you know, I'm aware of that, man. But the situation is so volatile right now. It may be wiser to just, basically what I said, it may be wiser to just break away and, and to go. And I remember they still kept coming. And the one dude, the black dude who had come back, now had his shirt off and a mask on coming up uh, the street where that deer statue is or whatever, coming up the street. And they just wouldn't quit. And uh, finally he backed all the way up the street and uh, he was able to just like get away. And then Mike Bluehair and um, Jesse Sponberg ran over there to try to de-escalate it. And that's when SWAT, or not SWAT, but the riot police, like <laughs> 30 deep, had Mr. Strickland basically face down with Jesse Sponberg face down on his face and and we're doing this whole, you know, everybody get back and thing like stuff like that. And Mike thankfully was there to film it and make sure that Mr. Strickland didn't get beat up or anything because it doesn't matter, white guy with a gun, black guy with a gun. When the riot police deal with people, they like to they get out of hand sometimes. And so thankfully Mr. Strickland didn't get beat up or anything. There was a conspiracy to stop Strickland from filming the anti-gun, anti-cop rally. But Portland's leftist power structure at the cop shop, the DA's office, and the media seemed to share a hatred of Strickland, too. A right-leaning libertarian who had a concealed handgun permit, who dared draw down on protesters on their streets? How bad could it be? When Strickland was arrested by the cops on July 7th, he was given a ticket charged with two misdemeanors and released on his own recognizance. Just a few days later, his two misdemeanors had grown. The unlawful use of a firearm charges are felonies, and there are now nine of them. That's because a grand jury returned this indictment saying there are nine victims. Now, this is Strickland on July 7th at a rally over the police shootings of two black men in Minnesota and Louisiana. The 36-year-old, who some described as a counter-protester, told police he felt threatened by demonstrators, and that's why he pulled out his handgun. No shots were fired, nobody was hurt, but witnesses say it was terrifying. Someone had gotten to the prosecutors, and all of a sudden, Strickland went from being a man seized on by a mob and pulling his legal firearm to protect himself to being the aggressor. And his Antifa assaulters had miraculously become his victims. Kevin Starrett, whose organization, Oregon Firearms Federation, came to Strickland's defense, knew Strickland and what a straight arrow he was. And he told me that sometime between the initial arrest and the arraignment, prosecutors had figured out who Strickland was, his YouTube channel, his political and pro-gun bent, and they seized their opportunity. In fact, if you if you look back on how this all unraveled, when, when Mike was first arrested... He was released on his own recognizance and only charged with menacing. One of the police officers who arrested him told me that, in his estimation, Michael did everything right. And so, in in all likelihood, in another place, this wouldn't happen. Michael didn't start facing the felony charges and and the the real liability until after they realized who he was. You know, they they arrested him, they let him go. 
everybody saw what he did, had done. Nothing changed between then and the um, arraignment. What, what changed was that the politically driven Multnomah County District Attorneys recognized who, in fact, they had arrested, somebody that the left in this state had been longing to get one way or the other for years. So I think, I think it's certainly there's a big potential here for it to chill defensive uses of firearms in Portland and Multnomah County. I don't think it's going to have an effect in much of the rest of the state. On the other hand, it, it, it may not have that much of an effect on anybody who's not a, a well-known conservative. Our lawyers who are defending Michael had a case very similar to that that they disposed of the day before without any charges. They, they, all the charges were dropped. And it was what was different was that the person who defended himself was defending himself against two or three people, whereas Michael was defending himself against hundreds of people. So I think they're setting a standard to try to chill defensive uses of gun ownership in Portland and Multnomah County. But whether or not this will affect a person who isn't known, isn't active, isn't, um, isn't an activist, isn't a prominent conservative person... It's hard to say. I mean, the laws are what they are. You're saying it's selective prosecution because of his political bent? There's no question it's selective prosecution. Look, we had a road rage incident not far from where you and I are sitting now about two weeks ago where two people pulled over just up there. One of them got out of a car with the gun, and there was no justification for it at all. When they found him later that day or the following day, his bail was $14,000. Michael's bail was a quarter of a million dollars. The news media swallowed whole what they were told, how the issue was framed. Not only were guns bad, guns were worse than a descending violent mob. The leftist alt-media in town ran special photos of Strickland on their newspaper boxes all over downtown with the words, gun crazy, under his photo. I think it's very unfortunate. Uh, the way Strickland was treated. Uh, I uploaded a little video on my YouTube channel called uh, the Liberal Media versus Michael Strickland where they had posters posted up uh, of his face and it said gun crazy. And it was him being arrested by Portland Police Bureau on all the paper bins. They had these oh, big yeah. signs that said gun crazy with his face. So, like, they're running propaganda campaigns against one individual? I mean, no, he's a journalist. Who literally Strick- harmed nobody. Who like, literally harmed no out. one. Right. No one harmed him. He, he harmed nobody. Right. He was assaulted. Right. So there's that. Right. He was assaulted, drew a <laughs> weapon to be like, get the fuck away from me. <laughs> and then he's being charged because right. Portland's afraid of guns. So, I mean, this whole inquisition in the media, I think, is very disgusting and just wrong. You know? Um, and I'm kind of ashamed of Portland, you know, for the... I mean, I'm ashamed of their corporate media. I'm ashamed of the way our city government handled it. I'm not very happy with the district attorney. I'm also not very happy with the fact that Portland Police Bureau went on record and said that there was a uh, Portland Police Bureau officer just a few feet away. That's a you know, Yeah, that's what they said. You saw this stuff in the, right? Okay, why, why is there an anarchist having to step up between Strickland and a crowd of people wanting to attack him and him feeling compelled to defend himself and try to keep things calm? And it wasn't just me. It was uh, Malcolm Shattuck. There was uh, Spomberg. Jesse Spomberg and a, and a bunch of us trying to keep the peace Spomberg here. Why, why are we as a community having to deal with this when the Portland Police Bureau admitted that they had an officer? Undercover do you know, officer. Do you know who it was? No. They only said an undercover officer in the, uh, I think it was Willamette he, he spoke at the grand jury, whoever so he, he won't be an undercover But anymore. that's ridiculous. If the officer would have uh, flashed his badge, I think the stuff would have calmed down right there. Hey, you know, I'm a, I'm a police officer, you know, like, 
I, I think people would have listened. So if the undercover officer would have given himself up and said, then when there's a gun being flashed, you think there's a danger that's reason safety. enough to blow your cover and so. save lives? But that's not what they're there for. <laughs> They're there for fucking acts of vandalism to fucking arrest people and shit. The odds, obviously, were stacked against Strickland. Next time, the man who started it all on Antifa versus Mike Strickland on the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft. This week's episode of the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft is brought to you by VictoriaTaft.com and... Our Antifa action figures, just in time for your Christmas buying season. There's Radar from Soy Stream News, Miss Warlord, and our special collection of the real housewives of Antifa. Batgirl, the Antifa camp counselors, and much, much more. Look for my web store soon at Zazzle. Get the link at victoriataft.com soon and put your favorite characters on shirts, mugs, masks, stationery. Mock your favorite leftist. Collect all 12 initial characters and make a calendar. Enjoy these unique and beautifully illustrated figures. Uh, Not the way they see themselves, but the way we see them. Editing, mastering, advertising, technical support, and understanding for the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft is by 1A Cast. The music is gospel by the March 4th Band of Portland, Oregon. Music for the case of Mike Strickland is Ride or Die by RC, and it is used by permission. Find RC on all social sites at Raps by RC, Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and Instagram at Raps by RC. Imaging for the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft is by 1A Cast. Logo by Heigeman Creative. Find him on Instagram. Photo of Victoria Taft is by Hilly Collective. The Adult in the Room podcast is produced by Flamingo Road Studios. All rights reserved.